and he fired me on the spot. And now I'm talking about, man, here you got this kid who was good at making sure he stayed out of trouble in the inner city. He actually had a job, he was an athlete, and I gotta go home and tell my mom I got fired. Failing. 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 I we talk about failure. Some battles you feel like you lost. And survival. Some battles you feel like you win. It's tough. I had to make some tough decisions. We've all faced failure, but what steps do we take to launch ourselves into success? I'm Sarah Brown. There is life, a blessing. Your dream. and then what we do with it. And this is Failing Forward. I am very excited. We have Terrence Backus with me today. Terrence and I met, oh my gosh, it was pre-COVID, right, Terrence? It was like two years ago. It was two years ago? It was. Oh my gosh. Uh, listeners, Terrence and I met through a common friend, and this friend was like, I need you to meet this star. He's amazing. He might want to do a podcast, and he's writing a book, and Terrence did write the book, and everybody, you need to go, you need to go buy it. You can get it on Amazon. It's called... Um, he's the author of Financially Empowered and Achieving Success Through Sacrifice. Welcome. Thank you, Sarah. Very happy to be with you this evening. Um, it's an honor to be sitting across from you as we go through <laughs> tonight's journey. Um, you've been a huge advocate for me when I was thinking about doing a podcast. And even though I pivoted to the book, I think it's still something I always go back and say, Sarah was one of those people in my life who was willing to help me when I asked for help. Oh, well, I loved it. And I'm so happy you're here today because you've got some great messages to share. Okay, Terrence, let's go back. You know, our listeners love to hear. Tell us about where you grew up. So listeners, you're going to hear the accent, which I love. I'm interviewing <laughs> two Boston, Bostonites. Is that the right word? Bostonians. Bostonians. Oh, that was stupid. Bostonians. And, and, and I'll give you a little tip. If you don't yeah. like us, we're called mass holes. <laughs> I may have used that once or twice, but shh. Okay, Bostonians, of course, Bostonians. All right, tell us tell us about where'd you grow up? What was your family like? Well, I'll say for me, that seems like a simple question for a lot of people, but for me, it was a little bit more difficult to answer. And the reason why I say that is I kind of grew up with two different lifestyles. Okay. And what I mean by that is while I grew up in the inner city of Boston in a town called Dorchester, if you know New Kids on the Block or New Edition, yeah, I grew up with those. I grew up with New Edition, actually, but... I grew up in the same town with them. However, my mom enrolled me into a busing program where inner city students were bused from the inner city to suburban town for school system. So yeah. for me, five days a week, I was on a school bus at 5.30 in the morning going 20 miles away to go to school with people who didn't look like I did. So when mm -hmm. I say that's an easy question for a lot of people, you can say I grew up in Mason or Cincinnati. For me, right. I grew up in Dorchester and Reading, Mass. Yeah. So. Yeah, and then from a family perspective, my mom uh, was a single parent. She raised me and my two brothers. I had an older brother who is uh, since passed, but he was seven years older than I was. Okay. I have a younger brother who's five years younger than I am. So big gaps between our ages. Uh, but my mom typical, really did it. Typical middle child. Typical middle child. Me um, too. Yes, you know how that works. People was, pleaser. Uh, somewhat, not always, okay. somewhat. Okay, all right. Um, I would say I was the first in my entire family to go to college. So I'm not wow. talking just my brothers, I'm talking my extended family. Yes. Um, until this day, there's only been a handful of 
my family who's actually gone on to college and graduated. So, And that's why for you, financial freedom is so important, isn't it? It's ex That's exactly why, because I've made it and I want to make sure I get back to those who look like me, who feel like they have to be celebrities or actors or entertainers in order to get out of the inner city and become financially empowered. So, Terrence, when you were growing up, and I've, I, I don't know if this was your experience, uh, but a friend, actually, another podcast guest that we had on here, he grew up in inner city, in inner city Baltimore, but was very educated. His mother was a professor. Uh, but what he was saying is that his friends didn't expect to live past, you know, 50. Was that the experience for you? You know, it's kind of interesting because I don't know why I feel like God was watching over me because for me, I was in an environment where people were getting shot or killed. You weren't. I was. I was. You were, oh, but, you were. but I was always that, that kid that knew all right, you have to hang with this group during the day because it's your environment and you don't yes. want to be the outcast. But I was always smart enough to know when things got dark or if I felt like things didn't feel right to yeah. remove myself from that environment. So I was always really crafty enough to be observing when and when not to be part of that group. Where do you think that came from? Do you think it was because you had an older brother and he kind of could help? Where, where did that come no, from? No, in fact, my older brother and I really weren't close. What really happened when I went to school in Reading, because I didn't have a, I never knew my father. So when I went to school in Reading, I had men who actually invested in me. So when you go to school in this program, they sent you up what they call a host family. Okay. So think of a white family that says, hey, if something happens to these kids during the day, I want to open up my house and they can come stay there until the school bus comes for them. Really? Well, I had a family called the Valentine family and they're in my book. They, from first grade on, welcomed me with open arms. Mm -hmm. So much that they took me camping in the summertime up in Maine. They took me fishing. I stayed at their house so I could be part of Boy Scouts. Like they taught this inner city kid. They gave me exposure to things I've never would have had had I been in Boston. So it was just a different world. What was that like, do you think, for your mom? You know, my mom, I've heard that question asked, like, did your mom feel like you had this other family? I think my mom was very happy because my older brother didn't go to college. Mm -hmm. She saw me taking a liking to school. She knew I was an athlete, mm -hmm. and it was a safer environment. So for her, it was kind of like, okay, I've got one of my two right now who's at least staying out of the inner city and staying out of trouble. Whereas my older brother really wasn't in trouble, but he dropped out of school in the 10th grade. He worked jobs here and there, and he started having children. So yeah. for me, I was like looking and saying, I know what I see and I like, and I know what I see and I don't like. And I just made the conscious decision to say, I want to be like the people in Reading who were driving nice cars, living in nice homes, taking vacations, all the things my family didn't have were yes. things I aspired to get. And by seeing it, it became more of a, it, it became more of a reality or possibility for you. And your mom gave you that opportunity, right? Absolutely. She, she saw it and she's like, she didn't want to take that away from me. So she was very supportive of me spending as much time in writing as I chose to do so. She didn't push it on me, but if I said, hey, can I stay with the Valentines next weekend or they want to take me camping in the summer, she was like, great. 
And we became such good friends still. Till this day, I did a, a book release for family back about, I don't know, three months ago. And I invited, yeah. I call her my sister from the Valentine's family. And she was on the Zoom with us all. And we both got emotional. And she said to me afterwards, we called and talked on the phone. And she yeah. says, I never knew you felt that way about our family. And I'm like, your family was my family. And we still keep in contact to this day. Wow. Oh, love that. Okay, so one of three, uh, you go off to college, have this great yeah. experience with the Valentines, and then what? I met my wife, well, soon to be wife. So when I got to college, I was an athlete. Yeah. I was running track. So I went to Bentley, back then it was Bentley College, now it's Bentley University. And where is um, that? That's in Waltham, Massachusetts. Okay. So if you're familiar with Brandeis, it's right down the road from Brandeis University. Yes, I am. A um, friend so, of mine works there. So I met my wife there. We met freshman year. And I'll be honest, when I went there, I was like, this is great. I can have some fun. You know, you have that freshman year. And I kind of had some fun. And then I decided <laughs> I need to settle down. My wife <clears throat> was more of a Christian than I was. So she was what I needed at the time. Yeah. And it's been... 28 years later, we've been married now. Wow. We have two beautiful daughters who grow, grew up a lot different than we did living yes. in Mason. Um, I, my oldest is now a senior at Brown University, and she's already been accepted to Harvard Law. What? And my youngest is a freshman at Carnegie Mellon. Brainiacs. So, Total yeah. brainiacs. That's amazing. Yeah, so... That's... And, 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 yeah. Like... Yeah. Getting into those schools is, yeah. So we're, we're really blessed to, to be in a position to afford them to keep up with, I say, keep up with their peers. For me, when I was younger, I didn't, my mom didn't have money to pay for yeah. me going to get tutoring for SAT testing. My daughters did tutoring early on. I gave them all the same tools that people who were in the same school system had access to. Okay, so I, you know, I love the whole financial uh, discussion. So get us into maybe a couple of the core tenets of your book. Yeah, I mean, really the book, I tell everybody, if you're buying my book thinking I'm giving you all these lessons about investing, that's really not what it's about. Mm -hmm. The book is really about my journey of saying, here's where I came from humble beginnings to where I am today. And there's a lot of tips around how we did it, the sacrifices that my wife and I made. So to give an example, um, growing up in Boston, there are a lot of Dunkin' Donuts everywhere. Yeah. And if you don't have a lot of money, you are not going to Dunkin' Donuts every day. Right. And it always pained me to see people go there every day, multiple times a day, and spend $5 for a cup of coffee. And I'm thinking to myself, I value $5. $5 times five days a week is $25. If I can take a portion of that and invest it, then it becomes me obtaining wealth. So the whole rationale behind this book is to say, we need to close the wealth gap that exists in our country today mm -hmm. between Blacks, White, and Hispanic. When you mm -hmm. look at, when I looked at this, these statistics, white families, there's 15.2% people who have a million dollar net worth or more versus an African-American family, it's 1.9%. So you're talking a major, wow. major gap. 15 to 1.9. 15 to 1.9. 
And and I'm the first to say, it's easy to say it's a black and white thing, but I will tell you it's not necessarily a black and white thing because we as people of color have to own some of that. And what I mean by that is I taught myself about investing. Yes, we may not have started off on the even playing field with some of our peers, but when we do obtain money, we have to make sure we manage it the right way. So when I graduated Bentley and I got my first job in corporate America, I went from being this poor black kid to all of a sudden I had a company car. Mm -hmm. I was working for a Fortune 200 company and I got a 401k. Didn't know what it was. Right. But, I, but I had a friend, Sherry, who's in my book, and she says, I don't know much about a 401k, but max it out. So I'm thinking, I don't have the money now, so am I going to miss it? So I right. maxed it out day one, and 30 years later, I've been maxing out every year. So it's about educating people around how to manage their money. You have to start early, and you have to stay in it for the long run. Okay, so can we go back to the uh, the cup of coffee example, right? Yes. And what I love about the title of your book is Through Sacrifice. Okay, mm-hmm. so if I'm a listener, I'm thinking, well, Terrence, sacrifice sucks. I don't want to have to sacrifice something. I want it all. What would your response be? I would say first you have to define what that all is. Anything that's mm. worth having is worth working for. So for me, I didn't enjoy getting up at 5 o'clock Monday through Friday to take a 20-mile bus ride to Reading, Massachusetts to get an education. And what I didn't share with you is because I was an athlete, I had to take a commuter rail from Reading into Boston. From there, I took the subway. And from there, I took a bus. I did this five days a week where I was getting home at 7.30 at night every day. Three modes of transportation twice a day. Every day, five days a week. And I still had to get homework done. So the sacrifice came from, I was not spending time with my family because I was an athlete. So that was one. We didn't have the things that my peers had. So I was sacrificing, like trying to fit into two different worlds. And it's not easy because people in your neighborhood early on will look at you like you think you're better than I am. But later on, it turned to, okay, he actually is making something of himself. We want to make sure we protect him. And then it became a way of making sure he's okay type deal. So the sacrifice was really family. It was time. And then, you know, one of the tips I talked about in my book, when my wife and I got married, we enjoy going out to a nice restaurant. Yes. But when you don't have a lot of money and you're saving for a home, we bought what they called entertainment books, which had coupons for restaurants, hotels, you name it. I would invest $30 every year for that book. And we would get our money back after going to two restaurants. So give us, like, I'm trying to think of what would be a modern day example and how I could apply that. Because I do think that there's, it feels so much better when you save up for something and get it than if you just buy it like that, right? So that there's something about the sacrifice piece that feels better really good right like it's hard but then it feels so good in the end so i got a good one for you yeah and then i want to hear some things like you do today because listeners you can't see his house and where he lives but (laughs) (laughs) let's just say it's really we're we're blessed i would say for us because i grew up in an apartment my entire childhood we lived literally my mom's bedroom was our living room 
Wow. So, so for me, when I, when I got married, I had never been in a home other than when I was at the Valentine house. Yeah. I had never cut grass before. So my wife and I made a decision. We were going to save money so we can buy our first house. And when we first started looking for a home, we got this down payment. We stopped looking. We realized we can't afford this town. So literally, we just kept moving further and further west mm -hmm. until we found a home that we could afford. Where I tell you the reward comes is the town that we ended up in, which is called Franklin, Franklin, Mass. Mm -hmm. It became the fastest growing town in the state. And when we sold our house to move to Cincinnati yes. through a corporate move, our house had doubled in value in seven years. Wow. We wouldn't have had that same blessing in a different town. And when you move to Cincinnati, cost of living is way lower than Boston. <laughs> we moved to Cincinnati and bought a house at the same price that we sold our 1,800 foot square foot home that was, um, I think it was $300,000 when we sold it. And we moved to Cincinnati and got a brand, practically a brand new house that was 3,500 square feet for the same price. Oh my goodness. Yeah. So, so, I mean, the sacrifices we had to say, we're committed to saving for that home because right. real estate is a great investment that will appreciate versus going out and buying a new car that's going to depreciate. Depreciate. Okay. So that's a good lesson around the home piece. And then I was, I was thinking too, like, what are some small things that I've gotten into a really bad habit of doing DoorDash? <laughs> <laughs> When I could like get off my fanny and go pick it up, right? That could save me a lot. <laughs> a, a lot, right? So, so there's a secret. So anyone who knows me knows I hate deliveries. I'm like, why am I going to pay someone a delivery fee and I have to tip them? So yeah. I will always order and go pick up. But here's a little secret for you. Yes. And it goes back to my childhood. I am a huge proponent of Costco. And the reason being, Costco sells restaurant gift cards at a discount. So literally, you can get a $100. Right now, they have a $100 uh, Uber gift card for $79. So if you're somebody that says, I have to have a delivery, at least save the 21% on the front end. Oh, my gosh. And I bought those for my daughter, who's in college. Before she went back, I bought her $200 in gift cards, which saved me 21%. I still do that today. I love that. I love that. That's such a goodie. Okay. Um, let's talk about like, um, how do I word this? Sort of energy behind money. So did, I'm sure you've read the book, Rich Dad, Rich Poor Man. Dad. Yeah, Poor yeah Dad. I'm, for, I'm familiar. I haven't read the whole thing, but I'm familiar with it. Okay. Um, and so it was an example. So the author, it's just like your story. His father, he, um, like gave him, he was the poor dad, but his friend's father was the rich dad and how they looked at money, right? Mm -hmm. Two totally different lenses. One was with abundance and one was with fear. So for you, um, for, for you, tell me some, some areas around that with beliefs or thoughts around money. Well, I think the first thing I will say, if God has blessed you with money, you have to understand how to manage it. So you don't take it in and just spend it frivolously. Yeah. I am a huge proponent of giving back to the community. Yeah. So my wife and I have been tithers our entire life. Okay. And that means we give back to the church. 
Mm -hmm. We also will give back to the community if someone's in need. So while we enjoy the riches of having a nice home and could send our kids to nice colleges, we also believe to much is given, much is expected. Yeah. So that's something that we just live by. And I try to teach that to my kids. And I have to be honest, it's a little bit harder for us with our kids because our kids didn't grow up like we did. So I have to ground them on the bubble that we live in is not real for everybody. Right, right. And I, and I taught my young one a lesson. I remember when she was really young, we, she said to me, she had gone to a friend's house and she said, dad, why don't we live in a mansion like so-and-so? And I'm thinking we live in a 3,500 square foot home. <laughs> so, and you have your own bedroom and your own bathroom. Right. I've been in an apartment my whole life. So right. I said, this is going to be a teaching moment. Now, some people will like this and some people won't. I said, okay. So we took a ride down to OTR. And this is back in the early 2000s. We took a ride down to OTR. For those listening, that's over the Rhine. And that's an area where, you know, it's probably a lower income area. Um, very similar to how I grew up, but not as bad. So I drive my young daughter down there. She's probably, I don't know, maybe 10. Mm -hmm. And I drive around and I said, Jasmine, I said, now, do you see what this area looks like? Doesn't look like Mason. I said, this is closer to how I grew up than how you grew up. So you need to understand how blessed you are to live in the house that you live in and to have the things that you have. It's not about trying to keep up with the Joneses. It's about mm. understanding how blessed you are. Yeah. Uh, did she get it? She totally got it. Totally yeah. got it. Totally got it. Now, I will tell you now, you know, she is a spender. I will tell you that. But she's, <laughs> she's, got, she's going to go to school for fashion law. So she's like, Dad, I have to look the part. So she does like nice things, but she works really hard to earn the money to buy them. Yes, yes. Um, so I'm, I'm really interested, too, in your wife's perspective with all this. So did you two have similar belief, similar upbringing around money? Yes, actually, and I'll be quite honest with you. I was in the church early on when I was younger, and then I kind of pulled away from it. Yeah. My wife has been in the church her whole life. So when we met, I kind of adjusted a little bit to get back into it. Yeah. If I was going to marry her, I had to be equally yoked with her in her parents' eyes. Yes. So we immediately got on that same page. And as far as being charitable, she probably has driven me to do more of that than I even drove myself early on. Would, how much, can I ask, yeah. what would you say, what would you recommend people tithe? How much? Well, if you read the Bible, the Bible says 10%. So I would say 10% is what the minimum is. I think it's okay if you said I'm doing 10%, but to me, it goes beyond the, beyond the church. Tithe, giving back is not just about money. It's about time. Yeah. It's about helping other people. It's about going and donating your time or money or your um, clothing to a Matthew 25. So 10% is the easy answer, but I said it goes beyond that. So uh, growing up, my mom wanted to more than my dad did, but my, my mom was always about 10% um, tithing. And so at the end of the year, you know, they would do that. Um, and since then, I have not been good about it. I definitely volunteer and I've been on boards, but monetary donations have not been as much of a priority for me. Have you seen a change in generations around that? Because what was normal for my parents, and I think a lot of people their age, 
was you donated 10%. It was just what you did. Yeah. Yeah. It's an interesting question because I know you've interviewed Brian Tome, senior pastor at Crossroads, mm-hmm. and I attend Crossroads Mason. And what drew me to Crossroads is the fact that they give back so much to the community. Yes. And that doesn't happen by accident. It happens because there are people in the church who say, I want to be all in. I want to be tithing. I want to be contributing. So, and that church has a lot of young people in it. So to answer your question, I think it's all based upon who who you're learning from. Yeah. It's not necessarily just an age thing. And I also think it also isn't necessarily a religious thing or spirituality thing. I think there are a lot of people who maybe it's not a biblical purpose, but it's an energy purpose. They feel like if I give something out, I'm going to get it back tenfold. Mm -hmm. And so I've also talked to people about that who have no religious denomination, but just recognize the importance of it for the world. So yeah, I think it's fascinating. So I thought maybe you could share one of your favorite stories with our listeners from the book. <laughs> you know, another great question. So when I first released the book, I have another friend, Hanson Stanley, who's an author and he read it and he called me and says, you really could do a whole book about getting fired from Bailey's ice cream. So there's a story in my book where when I was younger, it was one of my first jobs. I was working downtown Boston and we made ice cream. It was an ice cream uh, malt shop. Okay. So we did like uh, Sundays and we also made food like sandwiches. So you had like um, grilled cheese and different things. Mm-hmm. And we would always do partnerships with the local sneaker company downtown. We go to their shop, they get us discounts or they get us posters. So think of all the big posters we used to keep on our walls. They come into Bailey's, we get them free ice cream. Yeah. And one day, you know, we were all doing it, but one day I had given some free ice cream out to somebody and all of a sudden this gentleman gets up from the, from the um, restaurant and walks over to me and says, I just wouldn't see you not put money into the register. Mm-hmm. And my heart just sank. And I'm like, and he fired me on the spot. And now I'm talking about, man, here you got this kid who was good at making sure he stayed out of trouble in the inner city. Yeah. He actually had a job. He was an athlete. And I got to go home and tell my mom I got fired. And it was a learning lesson for me or teaching moment because I ended up, when I went to General Mills and joined their sales division, throughout my career, I took on more and more responsibilities. I got to a point where I was managing hundreds of millions of dollars. And when I would travel, I would eat. You have like a stipend you can use per day. I literally would go and pick up something for $10 and go back to my hotel room. And I had peers that would say, oh, I'm going to get a nice steak and I'm going to eat. And I said, why? I'm treating that money as if it's my money. Mm-hmm. Because I had learned a lesson that I had given away someone else's money and I didn't have the right to do that. So now why am I going to treat General Mills money differently? Um, I can't tell you how many stories are probably out there of people who it's a simple mistake like that, but learn something for the rest of their life. I, um, there used to be a a store here called Swollen's and my mom loved to go grocery shop there. And they also had like clothing and stuff. It actually was probably a target before it was a tar before targets were around. If you know what I mean? I do. 
And I can remember that I wanted um, some Pop Rocks and she didn't want me to have the candy. So I snuck it on the conveyor belt, right? Like behind something. And I don't, and it didn't go, it didn't go through. Like it, she didn't beep it or whatever. And, um, and then when I got home, I had it and my mom didn't remember it. She like totally busted me. So I had to go back and apologize. And the biggest lesson for me was the disappoint. I did it. I had to do it with my dad. So when he got home from work, he was the one that took me to Swallens. Wow. So the disappointment in him and then actually having to go and apologize and pay for it to the cashier was enough to say, I'm never doing that one again. You learned from that mistake. Very yeah. Quickly. And it, to your point, it was about the disappointment of your dad. Oh. than it was anything and and you know for me not having a dad growing up yeah i make sure that i had that relationship with my girls too so that there's just a special bond between daughters and daddies oh my god it's like the most special yeah okay i am i am curious so what would be your life lessons to your daughters from a financial perspective Oh gosh, I'm trying to deal with my oldest one right now and teach her. You know how it is when you're in an, when you're in an industry and you the expert and you're trying to teach someone they don't want to listen to you. <laughs> That's my oldest right now. My youngest gets it. My oldest one's not so much. I would say, you know, the mom the lesson my mom taught me when I was younger. She said, no matter what you do, always make sure you pay your rent because you need a roof over your head. You could always get food from somebody. Yeah. So as my daughter's into their careers, I would tell them, A, find a job that you're going to be happy in, because mm. I think so many of us don't have it. But two, make sure you start investing day one, because if we're going to close this wealth gap and try to build generational wealth, yes. it starts with all of us. And it starts with me leaving something for my kids, but then my kids knowing how to manage it so that they can leave something for their kids. So it's the lessons is just understand the statistics and want to make a difference. Terrence, you are such a good father. I'm so happy that you had that you gave us the time to be on the show today. Um, listeners, check him out. Check out the book; it's amazing. And um, thank you again, Sarah. Thank you for having me. I really enjoyed our time, and who knows, maybe we we'll do this again in the future. Maybe I'm going to be on your podcast one day. I have to find a time, but one day. <laughs> Thank you. Thank you. I want to thank everyone behind the scenes, especially Adrian Donica and the team at Gwyn Sound. Also, please find us on social media outlets at Fail Forward Pod. 